questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. And tonight we discuss the chronology, history, and the imminent DNA testing of the mysterious and famous 900-year-old star child skull. Because after all, everything about the star child's skull comes down to its DNA. Greetings. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at VeritasRadio.com. Tonight's special guest is Melanie Young, a former registered nurse who worked in the neonatal unit of a busy hospital for over 14 years before she was given a strange gift that changed her life forever. She opened a box, and there were two skulls inside. One was a normal human, but the other was so strange that she had never seen anything like it before. She took one look at it and thought, how did you survive? Melanie wanted to know if there's some way for that miracle element to be isolated and engineered into a treatment to help other babies survive. Her website is linked at ours at veritasradio.com. And she joins us, I believe, from Lubbock, Texas. Hello, Melanie, and welcome to Veritas. Are you in Texas? I am in El Paso, Texas. Oh, El Paso. Not too far away from us, I guess. Well, Melanie, I'm so glad to have you on because we had somebody else a few years ago discuss the star child skull. I personally knew Lloyd Pye. I met with him in person in a few, during a few occasions. And for some reason, I didn't know about your name. He never mentioned your name to me. And recently I discovered who you were as the original person who received the star child skull. Why don't you give us a little bit of a background? Let's dissect all of this in chronological order. Okay. How do I? Okay. Back in 1998, I think it was December of 98, a friend of mine gave me a box that had two skulls in it. The first skull, when I took it out, was totally normal. I was ecstatic. I have, you know, I taught anatomy. I've dealt with everything, but I'd never really seen a human skull that wasn't plastic. So I thought this was really, really cool. Uh, I looked at it. Um, it was glued to a board, and it had been shellacked or varnished, uh, basically, I guess, because it was sitting on somebody's mantle. And I noticed that it had a few uh, fractures, uh, skull fractures. I just was excited just to have seen that one. And then I looked in the box and saw something that I had never seen before and was curious. So I took it out of the box. It was bone. I, I could see that. But I could not tell what I was looking at. Again, it was glued to a board and shellacked. And I looked at it from every angle I could think of, and I could not find any reference to anything that made sense to me. So I thought, well, maybe what I'm looking at is where the spine goes into the skull, but it doesn't look normal. And then all of a sudden, I just started, you know, to manipulate the board and I faced the board towards me with the skull on top of it. So I faced it where the skull was looking straight at me. And that's when I saw the eyes. And the eyes were so misshapen 
and wrapped around the skull and just totally not right that I knew I had something special. And I started counting all the bones and seeing... You mean the sockets? The eye sockets, yeah. So I started counting all the bones, started looking for everything, and it has all of the bones that you and I have, but they're all deformed in some way or another. I noticed that a lot of the facial bones were broken off, but I could visualize where those bones should be, where they were, and what was missing, so I could visualize what the skull would have looked like had all the bones still been on there. The only thing I couldn't visualize were the teeth because the teeth weren't connected. So I knew I had something weird, something special, and um, the gentleman who gave it to me said, great, it's yours. Take it. Get it out of my hands. Uh, Don't tell anybody, you know, where you got, who you got it from. And See if you can figure out what it is. Let's let's go step by step because it's not often that I have somebody coming to me saying, "Hey, Mel, here's a shoebox, and there are two heads inside. Take it. I don't I'll take it off of me, and you deal with it." Now, why you? Why were you the chosen one to receive the skulls, both of them? And did that make you a little bit concerned? I mean, could it be? Could there be a criminal past regarding the person who gave it to you? I mean, all those things would go through my mind. Well, I didn't really worry about the person who gave it to me because he's uh, he used to work for the FBI. Oh, okay. Not so much a spook or an FBI agent, but he did technical stuff for the FBI. And that's why he didn't want anybody to know who he was because he didn't want it to affect his pension. And he did tell me that it was illegal to own uh, human remains. That's why I asked you, right? Right. Well, it is illegal for a normal person to own human remains. However, at the time, I was in the medical field. I was teaching anatomy. So I had access to buy a complete human skeleton from India. Right. So it's not, at the time, was not illegal for me to own human remains. Is this why you think he gave it to you? What was the reason why this man gave it to you? He gave it to me because of my background in the neonatal unit here on the border at a teaching, at the teaching hospital that I worked at. I saw more deformities and more genetic disorders than you would see in any other hospital. Why do you think that is? Water, pesticides? Why why is it? You know, it's due to lack of care. It's due to, uh, I don't know what's going on across the border, but you, you literally, we I was on the third floor, and you could watch these people drive around the parking lot until it was too late for them to be turned away so that they could have their babies delivered here in the States and get all the the wonderful stuff that you get as an American citizen. Interesting you say that because I live 80 miles from the border, and I right. hear that on this border, the incidence of very rare forms of cancer is incredible. Yeah. And we had a lot of rare deformities, you know, <laughs> Things that, you know, like 
I don't mean to be gross or anything, but we had a baby born with three legs, two liver, uh, two livers and four kidneys, you know, things like that. Of course, that one doesn't survive, but I've been involved in uh, conjoined twins, Siamese twins being born. Uh, so, you know, I've been involved in a lot of really weird cases, and um, that was pretty much my specialty. So besides that, I had just that last, the year before they gave it to me, gotten involved in the UFO community uh, because I found out that I have had abduction experiences and I have hybrid children that live off world. So now, because th this is going to be a bonus for this interview, I, I didn't expect this, but since we discuss this topic here all the time, why not tell us about this experience and how did you find out? Did you have to go through regression hypnotherapy? Well, I found out because I ran into a gentleman by the name of Joe Lulz. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he has two books out. The, the first book he put out was The God Hypothesis, and that talked about the holographic universe, and then he went into his research on uh, abduct abductees and hybrid children and stuff. So when I was talking, or when he was giving a lecture, I was sitting there thinking, oh my word, this sounds so familiar. It was surreal. Like some, I didn't know, but it sounded like some of the things I had experienced as a child So I talked to him afterwards. We did some regressions. So I have regression memories, and then I have cognitive memories that I didn't need to be regressed for. Um, so because – and then let's go into past lives. You know, uh, the the my experience with ETs go into past lives. So I've had multiple millennium of of experience with ETs. In, through multiple lives. Uh, and this just changed my world. I mean, my life has not been the same uh, since. So I think because of all that's why the skulls came to me. Did the FBI, I don't want to call him an agent, but the FBI person, did he know about this part yeah. of your history? Yeah, he did because he was with me when it all started. I mean, his wife worked for me. And he had, um, I spoke at a local MUFON uh, meeting about my experiences, and he, he went uh, because he was a friend and as a, as a support. Uh, so he's, his son did all the drawings about uh, the, the different beings I've had to do, I've dealt with. Um, so, yeah, they were highly, uh, very involved in my learning process about the alien abductions or my abductions and my hybrid children. Well, we have plenty of time. Can you give us a history, a chronological history of when this initially started? Uh, let's see. I'm going to, if I remember correctly, it would have started in 1996. Uh, that's when I realized it. Uh, chronologically in my life, my first memory was about the age of three. Uh, my first child happened when I was 16. Uh, the second one was when I was 26, and the third one was in the, my late 30s. And your first experience, describe it. 
in this lifetime was my first experience in this lifetime. I remember uh, broad daylight being out in the backyard by my playhouse uh, behind the, the swing set. And there was a little gray and a little red ball. And we were throwing the red ball back and forth with our minds. And we weren't touching it. So they were trying to teach me telekinesis. So, and when I remembered that in a regression session with uh, Joe Lulz and a, a psychiatrist in town, Dr. Roberta Finnig, um, they said that my voice changed into a little girl voice. So it's, you know, it's taken me a long time to come to grips that, that that's a reality. And I still have have moments where I think, oh, my God, I just made that up. That can't be real. And that's what I, you find a lot of abductees that they we all have that question is, am I making this up because this doesn't seem real? And it's a process, it's something we all have to go through and come to grips with. So and it still takes me a while to 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 bring myself to reality. This really did happen. I'm not making this up. I am not crazy, even though some people think I am. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. And the past life part, which is something that we don't hear that often from experiencers. We can use any term you'd like, abductees, whatever. But the past life part, tell us about that. Well, when I had my first regression with Joe, you know, he took he the questions that he asked were, take me back to the very first time. So I took him back to the three year old and he said, well, was there any other time? And all of a sudden I jumped to uh, back in England um, during the industrial age. Uh, I started speaking with an English accent, which is really strange because I have a Texas accent. So throw Texan and English together, it's totally weird. (laughs) Uh, And I remember that lifetime, and I remember dying of consumption. And, you know, you talk about the white light. Well, I saw the white light, and I saw my husband, and his name was Chester. And then I saw two little grays next to him. And I said, oh, the wee ones are here. And that's when I passed, they took me into the light. But what I remember before I passed was I had been a young lady married to, to a doctor, Chester, and I was going to pick up dinner. Uh, you know, I didn't know whether I was going to have a goose or a chicken or something like that. And as I, and I was returning some books back to the medical library for him. And as I was crossing a bridge, there was this humongous UFO over the library and there were two men drawing a picture of it. I'm assuming for the newspaper, I would love to be able to go over there and see if that picture truly exists. What year would you estimate? I don't know. I mean, because there were cars and there were horse carts um, and I could smell the horse urine and the manure um, it was cobblestones. I could I could feel the cobblestones underneath my feet. I could feel the type of of shoes I was wearing. Um, you know, so I could feel things on my body. And when you can do that, 
then that pretty much tells you that what you're experiencing is something real as opposed to making up a story. So, and then we took, uh, we went even further back into uh, two Native American lives that I had pre-white men coming here. So I've had experiences since, well, the 1600s or, or earlier. And the common denominator, it seems to me, that the grays are part of each life, isn't it? Aren't they? Yes, and not just the grays. I've had experiences with reptilians also and with the Nordics and a few others that most people don't talk about. Do they continue these experiences to this day? I, Because I have been so involved in the Star Child Project or figuring out this stuff, uh, the last thing I remember cognitively have any memory of is 9-11. And the night that 9-11 happened, before the, bomb, before the planes went in, I remember waking up with in so much pain, like electrical shock going all the way down my spine. The night of the 10th, you mean? Right. Uh, September the 10th. And <clears throat> then I was whisked away and I came back. I bounced onto the bed. They dropped me onto the bed. I could feel my kids bounce off the bed too. And I woke up and I was like, don't take them because I like to spend time with them. I said, don't take them. I'm not afraid. And there was a red vortex in the corner of a hotel room because I was in San Antonio with my mom and the vortex closed and the kids left. But I remember being told during that event not to be afraid that everything was going to be okay. And the next morning when I woke up, as I was getting ready to go see my mom, the planes hit the towers. So you think this is the event they were saying That's that you were not to be afraid of? Right. Now, why do you think they put importance in that event and not others? I think that event changed the world. And um, it was important enough for them to tell me not to be afraid. Um, but it's not the only time they've ever warned me or protected me from something significant. Oh, tell us of the others. <laughs> in May 11th, 1971, in Lubbock, Texas, we had three tornadoes touch down three blocks away from me. Again, the 11th. I hadn't thought about that. Okay, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, May 11th. And um, we had three tornadoes touch down three blocks away from my house. My parents did not wake us up, did not take us to the storm cellar, but I remember being floated out of the house. And I remember the TV being totally static. I remember my mother sitting there and totally out of it, you know, like she's, she's there, but she's not there. And I remember being floated out of my room out of the house and whisked into a ship. And I remember looking down at the tornadoes as they were going through. Thank you for listening. 
To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.